Hey, if you have your Bible with you today, you can turn to John chapter one. And just be patient, we'll get there here in a moment as I continue our series, Cancel Culture. And the heart behind this series has been twofold. And one is that I've been showing us in the word that the effort and the spirit of the world to intimidate, to silence or eliminate voices of faith is not a new phenomenon. That all throughout the Bible, the spirit of the world would rise up against people who were willing to take a stand for God, take a stand for the Bible, take a stand for biblical morality. And so part of what I've been encouraging us to do as we look at these stories in the Bible is that we would realize and recognize that God has called us to be salt and light. And that God is, going, God is preparing us to be more bold than maybe we ever have before through greater dependency upon the Lord and the Holy Spirit. Because this culture desperately needs what you and I once desperately needed, and that is the goodness and the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness and the hope and the redemption and the restoration of a good God who loves you too much to leave you where you are. He sent Jesus to make a way to rescue us and redeem us into a relationship that transcends religion. That's what the culture of the day needs. We can elect some different politicians, we can do some legislation, we can overturn some things, but but ultimately what will transform our city, Lawrence, Kansas, our region and our nation is a great awakening, a returning to God and to the Bible. And it's you and I, and it's you and I who have been entrusted with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we've called this cancel culture, and if you're not familiar, and just grace me if you've heard me say this a few times, but just to catch up to speed, those who might be joining us for the first time, it's, this, it's the term that's been given to this phenomenon, this recent movement, to minimize, intimidate, or even eliminate differing opinions or beliefs, and in an increasing way, especially beliefs or positions related to family values and biblical morality, and specifically related to sexuality and gender. And listen, I wanna say something that's been important for me to say every week. I want you to hear me about this as we talk about this and wade into this, that this, is, this does not absolve people where there are legitimate needs for accountability for legitimate wrongs. And I've used racism as an example. There's no room for racism in our culture in the body of Christ. People that operate in that need to legitimately be held accountable for those, for those ungodly beliefs. But unfortunately, this movement to intimidate, to eliminate, to punish people financially, relationally, or socially has quickly moved beyond legitimate places where there's legitimate need for accountability. And it's moved into issues where, there are, where largely it's driven by opinion over politics, health decisions, family values, and especially, again, concerning anything having to do with biblical morality. So again, part of the heart of this series has been to encourage and equip us as the people of God through greater dependency on the Holy Spirit and greater awareness of what God's word has to say about these areas of life to be prepared to do what God has called us to do and that's to speak the truth in love and to be the fullness of what Jesus Christ in John 1 came to do and be, which was, he, the Bible says that he, the word became flesh, he came and dwelt among us, we have beheld his glory, Jesus full of grace, somebody say grace, and truth, say truth. Jesus was the fullness of both embodied all at the same time. And it's what our culture needs. Our culture needs grace. But, but grace without truth is meaningless. Truth without grace is mean. Jesus is the fullness of grace and truth. And we are trusting God for that he would empower us, equip us, and embolden us to do what Ephesians 4 calls us to do, speak the truth in love. 
So the second part of what I've really trusted God to do in us through this series is to call us and make us aware of the places where the culture of the world has begun to influence our belief systems. And inevitably, it's true for all of us as believers that we can look up and we can begin to realize that maybe we've drifted or maybe we've allowed popular culture or popular opinions of the day to begin to influence us. I've said it this way, that God is calling us to recognize the places in our values, in our belief systems, in the way we live out our faith, where the culture of the world around us has begun to influence us more than the kingdom of God within us. And the Bible's real clear about this, and it wouldn't say it if God didn't realize that it wasn't possible or even likely to happen in our lives of faith in Romans 12, verse 2, where it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the message translation of that same verse has really unpacked it and said it even more specifically for me when it says it this way, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God and you'll be changed from the inside out. So today I I felt led in the last couple days to kind of shift away from the message that I had been preparing throughout the week and bring a, a special message that the Lord just began to stir in my heart to encourage you with some truths and to give you some anchors and to remind you about some things that the Bible has to say about a very important issue. And the title of this message today is A Generation Uncanceled. And the subtitle is this, Restoring the Sanctity of Life to Our Culture. And before we get into this, I just want to make a statement. That's that there's, there's the likelihood that many of you or some of you, probably the way, better way to say it in this church is there might be some people, some of you that maybe disagree with me about this issue at face value. And if that's true, whether you're in this room or joining us online, I want to just ask you for the grace to just hear what I have to say. And I'm, do, I'm going to endeavor today to, to talk about a very difficult issue. There's a lot of energy and enthusiasm on both sides of this argument. I'm going to endeavor to point us to the word of God. Beyond the opinions of a preacher or beyond the politics of the issue, I want us to dig into the word of God and say, God, what does your word have to say about this? And so again, if we disagree about this, let's just, and, and at the end of what I have to share with you today, we continue to disagree about this. Can we just make this uh, determination? We can agree to disagree and still love one another. But I want, yeah. But I wanna point us to what the word of God has to say about this. Before we get into this, you know, uh, on Friday there was a, what I believe, we, this was monumental VBS, I believe there was a monumental decision that was made in the culture of the United States of America. And I know that many of us, again, I know there may be a few of us here that may be on the other side of this, but, but this church, I'm just telling you, as long as I have anything to say or do about the leadership or the direction of this church, we will be a church that stands for life. And, and so, so with that said, so with that said, I wanna just give us an opportunity. Many of us have been praying for years or even decades for what happened on Friday to happen. Can we just take a moment and thank the Lord Jesus Christ for that movement, for that, come on, just praise him, just give him thanks. You know what I'm talking about? The reversal of Roe versus Wade, which does not um, make abortion illegal. It simply sends that issue back to the states where uh, dutifully elected officials will just legislate how that procedure will be governed and legislated at the local level, at the state level. 
But, I, you know, I, the Lord, a few um, years ago, the Lord began to challenge me with something. He began to build faith in my heart to pray that this really, what seemed impossible, really is possible with God. Things that are, that seem rather impossible with man are possible with God. And the Lord began to challenge me in my own faith. And he said, he said Thomas, do you remember that there was a day in the life of this nation where you, this nation was polarized over the issue of slavery? And 50% of the nation believed that it should remain intact. 50% of the nation believed that it should be abolished. And there was even a war where brother fought against brother to fiercely defend their own beliefs. And he said, now in the hindsight of history, there are very few people that look back in the hindsight of history and are willing to defend the practice of slavery. And I began to pray that way. I began to say, God, let there be a day and an hour in my life where in the hindsight of history, we look at something that today we are fiercely polarized around this issue, but let there be a day where you so move in the hearts of people, you so turn the hearts of parents back to children, you so cause us to reprioritize more of what values, what, what matters to you than what the culture of the day says that matters, that we would look back in the hindsight of history and we would say, how could there ever have been a day where we were so polarized over that issue? Because God doesn't just want laws or courtroom decrees to be reversed or changed. He wants the heart of people to be changed. He wants the hearts of people to be changed. And sadly today, just as in that day of slavery, over this issue, it, so there's some things to celebrate, but as I've watched it unfold, my celebration has been tempered by the way I see the hatred and the, the vitriol and all the, the, the angst and all the, the threats of rage and all the threats of violence over this issue. And, and, and I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm taken aback and I'm saying, God, would you help us to see the hearts begin to change? Laws might need to be changed, but God, if the hearts don't change. And here's the reality of the situation. Let me just share a couple things practically with you before we dig into the spiritual ramifications of what God's word has to say. Stay tuned with me. Listen, lean in and listen to what God's wanting to say to us today. But before we get into God's word, a couple of things practically, and that's this, that number one, unfortunately, is, is that, um, as that overturning of Roe versus Wade takes this back to the states that unfortunately because of a 2019 state Supreme Court ruling here in the state of Kansas, Kansas is now one of the most abortion friendly states in all of the United States. And that if you look at the stats and, and figures that because some other states have some more stringent laws um, restricting the timelines and such that, that, that allow an abortion procedure, Kansas is an exporter of abortions that over 49% of the abortions that took place in Kansas came from people who were fleeing states where there were more restrictive laws in place and coming to Kansas. And, and should, should, um, should nothing change, that will continue to be the case in an increasing way as some of the surrounding states begin to enact some of their legislation to just restrict or move the timelines that allow the procedure back to earlier in the first trimester. And so here's practically something I want to encourage you with, and I want to make an appeal to you. And again, this, is, this, is, this goes way beyond politics. This is a moral issue for God and for the church. And we must be willing to take a stand and discover our voice to speak into moral issues of the day. But unfortunately, they most times are legislated in courthouses and ballot boxes. And on August 2nd, there's a primary election. And, and I want to encourage you to go and look into this. On that day, we will be voting for the Value Them Both Amendment which looks to, to, to add to our state constitution and undo the, what I believe was a very ungodly decree that came from our state Supreme Court that basically established that the right to an abortion was a, const a state constitutionally protected right. 
And what this amendment would do, if we, if we vote yes, we wanna vote yes to the value them both amendment, is that it would just simply do what the overturning of Roe versus Wade did. It's, it'll send it back where our duly elected legislatures will make the determination about the laws that will govern that procedure. And I believe that's a good thing. And so listen, young people, if maybe you would typically not vote in a primary or maybe haven't gotten involved in politics or voting, I wanna encourage you, this is the day and the hour for you to become engaged in the civic arena of your uh, country. And I wanna encourage you, if maybe you as an adult, maybe you'd vote in the general election, but you'd kinda just look up and just check the news to see what happened in the primary election, this is an election for you to mark your calendars to make sure that your voice is heard. And I wanna encourage you, vote yes for the value them both Amendment. So this was a, it was a monumental step. It was a monumental decision, but there's still a lot of work to be done. And we see it playing out before us with all the anger and the hate and the threats of violence. And, you know, as a church, we support the Insight Women's Center. And I just want to make you aware of this, that if you support our Heart for the Kingdom Fund, which is the fund that, that supports missions and outreach locally and nationally and abroad through international missions, that you have a part in supporting a ministry that, that helps moms and families who are dealing with crisis pregnancies or unexpected pregnancies to find resources, to find encouragement, to find, a, to find hope, to, to find solutions that might help empower them to make a decision that favors life. And so I want to encourage you to be praying for them as they are on the front lines of this battle. And I want to share something with you that we, we, we support them in an ongoing way because we don't want to just stand and, and recognize the problems in our culture. We want to be part of the solutions. And one of the things that we felt led to do is we reached out to them. We had some conversations. And, and so that they can continue to operate this week under the threat of duress and even intimidation and violence, our church, you and I, through our Heart for the Kingdom Fund is supporting and sponsoring the cost of having uniform security on their premises this next week so that they can continue, they can keep their doors open and so that their staff and so those precious mamas that are coming in there can come and have a sense of safety and security this coming week. And so thank you for your prayers and just be encouraged. We are a part of the solution, making a difference, not just recognizing and preaching to the world, but saying, hey, we're the church and we gotta be part of coming alongside people and helping people and being the solution to some of these problems that really are deep, troubling issues in our culture. So let's continue to pray. Let's continue to act. Let's trust God that he's not finished yet, that he wants to do more than change laws. He wants to change hearts. Amen. And here's the thing. We, we, in our culture, it's beyond, go, even going beyond this issue, we see murder rates increasing, we see mass shooters, there's some things we can talk about doing, but I'm telling you that the number one thing that is going to heal those issues is a restoration of the sanctity of life in our culture. That what we are getting, what we are seeing with the increased murder rates and with the 64 babies that, that have been aborted over the last 49 years, what we are seeing is an erosion of the sanctity of life that occurs when we began to remove God from the equation. And we're seeing what it looks like when a generation is raised with the worldview that human life is the result of a cosmic accident, that your ancestors are a puddle of cells or a pack of primates, that life is random and meaningless. But I choose to believe the Christian worldview that says you are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of a good God. And he knows you and he created you on purpose for a purpose, by divine design and for such a time as this. And he loves you so much. 
He loves you so much that even while you were caught in your sin, an enemy of God, he sent his son to rescue you and redeem you back into a relationship with a good heavenly father, a relationship that transcends man-made religion. We must see a restoration of the sanctity of life to recognize that God is the giver of life. First Timothy 6.13 says, God gives life to all things. The Bible is also very clear about the issue of when life begins. And it says this in Jeremiah 1 verse five. It says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Let me read it again. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you. The message translation of the same verse, Jeremiah 1, 5, says, before I shaped you in the womb, I knew all about you. Before you saw the light of day, I had holy plans for you. The Bible's clear about when life and purpose and destiny begins. And there may be accidental pregnancies, but there are no accidental babies. And you need to hear something today. Listen, you need to hear something today. You need to hear something today. If you've been affected by this issue, if you've walked through, and I know here's many of us are casualties of the culture. That's what we're preaching about. It would be easier for me to preach a much easier sermon to deliver. But it's why I'm digging into what God's word has to say that we, if we're not careful, we'll look up and we'll just fit into the culture around us and what it thinks and what it believes and what it says about morality. But I'm challenging us to be willing to say, hey, let's not fit in too easy. Let's not conform to the patterns and the beliefs of this world. Let's allow ourselves to be transformed by the word of God and the heart of God and the will of God. Let's allow our minds to begin to see and think differently so that we can begin to live differently. If you've been affected by this, maybe you had an abortion. Maybe you're a man who pressured a woman into having a procedure. I want to tell you today, you need to hear it with no uncertainty in my words. The grace of God abounds greater than any sin, misgiving, or mistake that any of us could ever make. And God is still in the business of taking our brokenness and taking our sins and taking our failures and writing a story of redemption and restoration. And so if you've been affected by this, if today you're hearing any voice of guilt or shame or condemnation, that's not the voice of your father because the Bible says so clearly that there is zero, nada, condemnation for any of those who are found in Christ Jesus. God is still in the business of taking messes and turning them into messages, taking your test and turning it into a testimony, but we can't allow the, the errors and the failures of, of, of the culture that, we've come, that we are coming out of that is forming and shaping us to keep us or hinder us from speaking with clarity to the future of our culture and our nation. We've gotta be willing to get real with God and get real with our children, those precious kids that were up here. We've gotta be willing to get real with them and we gotta be willing to say, hey, we've blown it in some ways. We've allowed some of these things to enter in, even into the church. 
But we want to tell you that we were wrong and we want to encourage you and point you back to what the word of God has to say, that he is the way and the truth and the life. And we're willing to begin to be courageous, to take a stand and see a, 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 a next generation be discipled and equipped to stand firm in their faith, even in a culture that is increasingly opposed to God and the Bible. If you believe it to be true, come on, say amen. amen. The womb is a sacred place where God himself is working. Psalm 139, verse 13 says, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. You, God, God is working. He partners with moms. And, and for the past 49 years, we saw this ungodly decree. And, and by the way, I just think it's interesting. This is a little deep and profound. I just think it's interesting that in the Bible, there's this concept called the year of Jubilee that happens in the 50th year. We're in the 50th year of that determination and that decision that the Supreme Court had made. But the Bible says in Leviticus 25, I just wanna read it to you. It says, you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty. Throughout all the land, all of its inhabitants, it shall be jubilee. Your translation might say a year of freedom, a year of releasing for you. And each of you shall return to his possessions. Each of you shall return to his family. God's calling us to return to our families. God's calling us to begin to prioritize what matters most to him. And listen, this is not the first time that we've seen this unfold, this, this last wave, this 49 years. It wasn't always like this in America, but for the last 49 years, this thing that's recently been overturned. It's not the first time we've seen it. Do you remember what happened when God was birthing Moses to be a type of Christ, a foreshadowing of Christ, to be used of God, to partner with God, to be the deliverer of God's people out of the place of bondage? Do you remember the decree that the Pharaoh put forth? He said, kill the babies. And then do you remember the decree that, that King Herod put forth? Whenever the news about Jesus showing up as the promised Messiah, do you remember the decree that he put forth? Kill the baby. And I'm just telling you, is it possible? Is it possible that for these last 49 years, the thing that we're now seeing begin to turn and go the other way, the thing that seemed impossible, but it was possible with God, is it possible that it was because the spirit of the world looked into that generation and saw a generation that was going to usher in the second coming of Christ? I'm just saying, is it possible? It's not the first time we've seen it. Hebrews 9, 29 says this, speaking of the second coming of Christ, it says, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, that's already been dealt with, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting for him. And this is a doctrine that's kind of been lost in the church that needs to be restored. This anticipation and even enthusiasm that the Jesus who came to once save us and heal us from our sins is going to come again. And he's going to rescue his church, the bride of Christ, out of a sinful culture into a relationship with him for all of eternity. He's coming again. And is it possible, again, is it just possible that if we look at this, again, there are parallels. When Moses was coming to be the type of Christ to deliver the people of God, they, they killed the babies. When Jesus was coming, they killed the babies. Is it possible that we can look up and we can say, man, it's happened before. Maybe it's because the return of Christ is more near than we even would think. 
And I want to encourage you to live this way. I want to encourage you to begin to live this way. I'm not setting a date. I'm not telling us that when it's going to happen. I'm just drawing out the parallels with things that we see happen in the Bible. And I'm encouraging you that the Bible is very clear about the second coming of Christ, to rescue the bride of Christ. And I'm telling you to begin to live with expectation. Matthew 24, 36 says, no one knows the day or the hour that these things will happen. Not even the angels or the son himself, only the father knows. And Matthew 24, verse 40 says, two men will be working in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. So you too must keep watch. You don't know the day that the Lord is coming, but understand this. If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready. Somebody say, be ready. All the time for the Son of Man will come when least expected. So more than laws, God wants to see hearts change. And now I want to I dive into this with you. This idea that this is important to the plans, to the purposes, and to the heart of God. This restoration of the hearts of fathers to children. And I want to take you to a few places in the Bible, starting with Malachi chapter 4, verse 6, which interestingly enough is the very last verse of the Old Testament. And here's how God chose to put the capstone on the Old Testament Here's what it says, verse four, or verse six, chapter four of Malachi. And God says this, see, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. It's called great and dreadful because it's gonna be great for some and dreadful for others. And, and, and he says, he will turn, watch what it says here. Lean into this, all right? It says, he will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. So he says, before the coming of the Lord, he says, what's gonna be important to me is the restoration of biblical family. There's a lot of things that he could have said right there. There's a lot of powerful, profound things that he could have called us to or charged us with. But what did he say? He said, before the coming of the Lord, I'm sending the spirit of Elijah to restore the hearts of fathers to the children. Then we turn into the New Testament and we see what Jesus said about John the Baptist who was the one who was coming to prepare the way for the first coming. Remember, we read that real clearly, that Jesus was coming twice and the first time he was coming to deal with sin. The second time he's coming back for his bride. And so Jesus is talking about the, this, this ministry of preparation for the arrival of the Messiah. And, and he's come once and he's coming again. And watch what Jesus says about the atmosphere that will welcome and usher in the coming of Christ. Watch what he says, Luke chapter one, verse 17. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. And watch what he says. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. How? He will turn the hearts of the fathers, or your translation might say parents, back to the children. Isn't it interesting that that's the thing that God so values and esteems, that that's the thing that he'll say will usher his coming and then his return. I mean, think about it. He doesn't say he'll come and he'll help to establish a bigger denomination. 
He doesn't say he'll come and help us to vote in a different politician. He doesn't come and say, eventually they'll preach the, just the right sermon and that'll set it all up for me to come. He says, I'm gonna turn the hearts of dads and moms back to kids. Why is it so important to God? Because it's his original plan. In the book of Genesis, when he created, he didn't create a denomination. He didn't create an organization. He didn't even create a congregation. He created a man and a woman, and he told them to be fruitful and multiply. In other words, he created family. And it's the reason why your family and your marriage in our culture is so under attack. I say it often, it bears repeating, anywhere in your life of faith where there's power or promise or potential, you better go ahead and predetermine there's gonna be opposition. And God's original plan, you could be encouraged by this today. If there's strife in your marriage, you could be encouraged by this if you've been a casualty of the culture. It's not because by, it's not just happenstance, it's because there's an enemy who is on a full scale, all out attack to come and interfere with God's perfect plan and original design, which was one man and one woman committed for life together to raise up a family, to extend a legacy and a heritage of faith that would pass on and build and grow from one generation to another generation to another generation to another generation the spirit of Elijah is going to come and again he's not going to cause us to have a big conference nothing wrong with any of those things he's going to he's going to get a hold of our hearts and he's going to say don't be conformed to the patterns of this world that has defined success with power and prestige and promotion and possessions. He says, you gotta think differently and it'll transform you. You ought to begin to prioritize what matters to God, which is faithfulness with the purposes of God. And if we wanna see this situation begin to change, maybe we ought to start to esteem the biblical, godly, God-given purpose of motherhood Why the spirit of Elijah, though? Why, why, why the spirit of Elijah? He says the spirit of Elijah must come. And I think this is powerful. So uh, Elijah shows up on the scene in 1 Kings chapter 17. If you turn the page back, one page to 1 Kings chapter 16, there's a kind of an overlooked, short, but powerful story. It's a very unfortunate story. And again, remember, this is in the context of the spirit of Elijah must come to turn the hearts of, of men and women back to family to prepare the coming of the Lord. And so Elijah shows up on, in 1 Kings chapter 17. Turn the page back, 1 Kings chapter 16, a very unfortunate story about a man named Heel, who made a determination to rebuild Jericho, which seems fine at face value, except for the fact that in Joshua chapter six, Joshua, who was also a foreshadowing of Christ, took, made a decree and said, anyone who rebuilds or attempts to rebuild Jericho will do so at the risk of losing his family. And he knows this, but he proceeds anyways. And this is where we see it. Again, the spirit of Elijah. Elijah shows up in 1 Kings 17. 1 Kings 16 is where we find this story. And it says this, it says, when Heel had laid the foundations for rebuilding Jericho, it says it cost him the life of his oldest son, Eberim. But watch what he did. You would think that that would have gotten his attention, right? But watch what he does. He forges on. 
And it says when he had completed it and set up its gates, it cost him the life of his youngest son, Sagum. Here's what it speaks to us, is that something had crept into the culture where building your own kingdom and empire began to take precedent over building your godly family. And it's what we see and it's what we must be willing to courageously begin to help people to redefine that in the midst of doing the things that God really has called you to do, some of you, he's placed a grace on your life to build a business or to be a forerunner and a leader in the area of sales. Some of you are going to excel athletically or academically. Some of you are called into the governmental or civic arenas. We need men and women of God being leaders in all of those areas and the other ones in between. So this is not about the exclusion of your purpose in life, it's about the inclusion of God in your purpose. And we gotta begin to redefine what looks like success. There's a world, a culture that's working overtime to again, define success as power, prestige, promotion, popularity, and possessions. But the Bible says this, what's it benefit you if you gain the whole world but you lose your very soul? Well, What do you benefit if you gain the whole world but you yourself are lost or destroyed? It says that the spirit of Elijah is coming. Again, not to to cause for a bigger denomination or bigger congregations, those things might happen as we begin to turn our hearts back to what God really cares about. And Elijah is remembered most famously for calling down fire from heaven to just prove the ultimate power of God. But I think it's powerfully profound to recognize something, and that's this. Before God entrusted him with fire from heaven, he watched as Elijah was used to serve a single mom and to preserve the life of her son and even to bring him back to life. And it's why as a church, as we speak clearly and pointedly and hopefully courageously about this issue, even in the face of cancellation, it's, it's why we as a church will be a part of offering solutions to single moms. It's why we'll be a part of supporting, and we're doing it, it's underway, and we're increasing the ways that we support foster care ministries. There are many of us in this church who have gone through recently in the last couple years foster care training and are pursuing to adopt, and listen, it's not something you get into lightly. Some of the most painful things I've ever experienced emotionally I've experienced is my family and I have waded into foster care. But we're gonna be a part of the solution. We're gonna be willing to put our money where our mouth is. We're gonna be willing to step up and stand in the gap. We're gonna be willing to say, if you're a single mom, come and let us help you. Let us help you get childcare. Let us help you get education. Let us help you have resources so that you can begin to to make decisions and continue to make decisions. It's why we're gonna come along, people, and help them. It's why today I wanna make a statement to anyone who's in this room or within the sound of my voice. If you are a mom, if you are a pregnant mom who's facing a crisis or unexpected pregnancy, I want you to hear me today. There's a place, there's a family, there's a church called Rev City Church, and if you'll come, we'll come around you. We'll rally around you. We'll give you resources. We'll, we'll help you connect to medical care. We'll help you get job training. We'll help you get child care. We'll help you place that child for adoption. We'll do anything that's within our power to help you choose life and to help that precious little baby who God has known before he was in your womb to connect to his or her God-given destiny. 
being a mom, it's one of the greatest callings in life. And our culture has not done women any favors by pressing them. And I'm not saying, listen, women, women can and should be involved in anything they want to be involved in. Running companies, there, there's a number of women. I mean, right now, today, I would vote for a woman for president of the United States of America if she had the right belief system. I'm just telling you, don't, I'm not trying to say in any way, shape, or form that there's any limitations to what a woman can do, especially when God is with her and for her. But we haven't done any women any favors by telling them that if they have a baby, it's going to keep them from being valuable to our culture and our society because they might have to take a break from climbing the corporate ladder of success or they might have to kind of think differently about how the, the direction of their life or their, or their career is gonna go. I'm telling you, we need to restore the sanctity of life and we need to tell moms being a mom matters to the purposes and heart of God. It was his original plan. He didn't create in the book of Genesis a Religion, a denomination, or a congregation, he created a family. That's what he still desires today. The beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis started with God establishing family. The end of the Bible in the book of Revelation, it ends with God celebrating for all of eternity with a family. Sons and daughters in a house with many rooms around a banquet table celebrating the wedding feast of the Lamb to his bride. All God gets out of this, all of this is going away. All God gets is a family. Would you stand to your feet this morning and ask our worship team to go ahead and come and be prepared to lead us in worship one more time. The heart of God is family and you need to hear something today. The heart of the gospel is the heart of a good father who created sons and daughters and saw them go their own way in pride and sin and rebellion. And he loved you all the while, even when you were far from God. That's, the, that's so amazing about the gospel. God didn't start to love you when you came to Christ. He loved you all the while you were out there, or maybe today that's where you still are today. Far from God. And the heart of the gospel is not about establishing a church or a religion. The heart of the gospel is about a father running hard after his children and saying, I see you. I see you toiling. I see you struggling. I see you striving. I see you trying to do it in your own strength. I see you being swept up into the culture of the world. And I love you right where you are, but I love you too much to leave you there. I'm sending Jesus, your big brother, in the faith to come after you and say, hey, Daddy God is calling you back home. But, but Jesus, does he know what I did? He knows. He, he's been with you. He sees the confusion, the hurt, the pain, the rejection, the mistakes, the misdeeds. And in that condition, He loves you. And he's inviting you back home. And so if that's you today, you maybe once knew God, you still believe in God, maybe you once were in the church, but you drifted from God. 
maybe made some bad choices or decisions along the way. And you look up today and you're far from him. You're what the Bible describes as a prodigal son or daughter. And in that, in that parable, the father wasn't judging or holding that child at arm's length. He was longing for, he was anticipating, he was praying for the moment where that son would get to the end of himself and realize, I gotta go back home, back home to my father. And you remember in that parable, the son, when he got to the end of his funds and the end of his friends, you remember what he said? He said, maybe I can go home and maybe my father will accept me back just as a hired hand. But that wasn't the heart of the father, you remember? The father came running, he came running, he came running, his arms were open wide. He said, welcome back, my son has come home. I'm putting a robe on your back, I'm putting a ring on your finger, I'm calling a feast and we're gonna celebrate the one son who finally found his way home. And so in this room, joining us online, maybe that's you. Or maybe you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ and received what it feels like to have all the weight, all the weight of sin, guilt, condemnation removed off of you. That's the message of the gospel. That's how much he loves you. It's what he wants to do for you today. You can't earn it. It's a free gift. All we do is respond in faith, receive his grace. So right now, if that's you, you've drifted from God or you've never put your faith in Jesus, this is your moment right now. This is your moment to come home to be forgiven, to be made new. And here's what I wanna ask you to do right now. Just as an outward sign of an inward work that God's doing in your heart, would you lift your hand towards God and just say, that's me. I wanna come home. That's me, I need forgiveness, I'm way down. Man, many amazing, precious people saying yes to Jesus coming home to their father. If you raise your hand, you can lower it. And here's what we're gonna do, we do it every week, is we're gonna pray this prayer with you, we pray with you. Because we wanna show you right from the start, there's a church family, we wanna, we're a family. And we wanna come alongside you, we realize maybe you got some stuff that you're gonna have to deal with and God's gonna help you with it, we're gonna be right there with you. Praying with you, helping you, encouraging you. You stumble, we'll help you get back up to keep moving towards God. So we pray it with you for that reason and for the second reason, which is it just keeps us tethered every week where we have the opportunity to pray this to the reality that everything God can ever do and build in our life of faith, and he is, he's growing us, he's maturing us, he's calling us to deeper places in him but everything he could ever do and build, it's all being built on a foundation of unmerited grace. So every week we pray this. And so come on, let's do it. I mean, I'm telling you, there are some amazing people, who, men and women, sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, husbands and fathers, wives and mothers who came home to Jesus today. Let's pray this with them. Come on, pray it with some boldness. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I recognize my need for a savior. And I thank you for sending Jesus to pay the price that I can never pay, to make a way that I might have a new life and a fresh start. I give you my life, I give you my trust, and because of Jesus, I'll never be the same.
Because of Jesus, say it again. I will never be the same. And then let's come on, rejoice with all of heaven for what he's doing in our lives, for what he's doing in our hearts.